You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. We're going to start now. All right, uh, so as you guys are uh, finding your seats, uh, I'll go ahead and introduce myself again because there's a lot of people in here I don't know too well. Uh, Some new faces. I'm glad you're here. Uh, My name is Dustin Cooley. I'm a deacon here at Revolution Church. Uh, I'm also one of the East End Missionaries. We mentioned the Revolution House at 706 Campbell. That is where I live um, with Stephen Woloszek, which is there, and Kelly Kraft, who is up here. So, um, and then Allie and AJ here as well. So, um, that's my awkward introduction. So, um, that's all I got. Thanks for laughing, Kelly. Way to be supportive. Um, So, I guess just to start, just to open up a little bit, as I was preparing uh, for this sermon this week, um, Dave told me about a month ago what I would be preaching on tonight, and it's one of these passages and one of these bits of scripture that, you know, you grow up hearing, um, you know, sermons about, and it's always kind of the same sermon over and over you know, it's the, the story of the widow with the two coins, and it's, you know, it's, it's not, you know, you know, how much you give, it's what you give in proportion, and normally some, you know, larger man in a suit who's really sweaty tells you that you should uh, give all your money to the church. I'm not going to do that tonight. Um, but anyway, so, you know, I, I really kind of felt pretty inadequate and um, unqualified, honestly, to stand up here and preach. Um, but as I was thinking and praying, um, you know, I, I was given, you know, you know, another piece of scripture came to mind that kind of ties this whole sermon together. Um, so I'll go ahead and read that. It's in, this is a free one too, by the way. Uh, Chris did not put this in the slides. So maybe if I can find out where I'm at. Sorry, guys. Okay, so it's in 2 Corinthians 12, and it's Paul talking about this thorn in the flesh. And um, it says, Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away from me. And each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that, in the power, or so that the power of Christ can work through me. That is why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I'd just like you guys to kind of keep that in mind as we go through this tonight. Um, you know, as I start reading the scripture and start, you know, getting into what it means, I, I'd like you guys to just kind of keep that in mind that, you know, through our weakness and through our even our smallest efforts, um, the glory of Christ is still shown through us and through that. Um, so I'll go ahead and get started. Our, our scripture tonight comes from Luke twenty forty five through twenty one four. Um, so uh, I'll be reading out of the NLT. Also, if you don't own a Bible or the Bible that you have is too hard to understand, there should be a blue Bible uh, in front of you in the pew. Feel free to take that home. Uh, kind of our gift to you. Uh, there's cases of them at my house, so feel free to take it because we have plenty more. Um, so I'll go ahead and get started. Uh, it says, then with the crowds listening, he turned to his disciples and said, beware of these teachers of religious law. 
For they like to parade around in flowing robes and love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplace. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head tables at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be severely punished. And while Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said. This poor widow has given more than all of the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. So with that in mind, what I'd like you guys to do is take out your wallets and pass them in the middle. Uh, Kelly, come get this thing with the carpet in it and come get these wallets. It's not funny. Whatever. <laughs> um, so anyway, let's kind of, uh, kind of get into what this means. Um, so it, it talks about these teachers of religious law and how pious they were and how... Um, you know, how outwardly holy they were, but yet what Christ is saying here is how inwardly wicked they are. Um, So let's kind of get into, you know, what this means by teachers of religious law. Other translations will word that as scribes. Now, what a scribe is, is he's pretty much a a lawyer um, of the day. So what scribes would do is they would spend their time... um, studying the Old Testament law and studying um, all of these religious rituals, and then they would be called in as advisors uh, if someone violated that. So if someone were to be caught in some grievous sin, the scribes would be called in if they didn't uh, know what to do with the person. They would say, like, this person has done this. What does the law say the punishment was? So they were held in high respect, you know, almost like a, like a judge of the day or, um, you know, it's, you know, they were really respected for what they knew and um, also kind of their outward appearances. So it talks about how they love their long flowing robes. Um, and what these robes were, they were um, shawls that they would wear. And they were so long they would actually drag the ground. So when you were walking in public and you saw a scribe, you'd see this long robe, you'd know what he was. He was easily identifiable, easily noticeable, um, for what he was. So, um, it also says they loved respectful greetings. Um, you know, these were due to their prestige and honor in the community. Um, people liked these guys because they were smart. Um, and it says they loved the seats of honor in the synagogues. Um, what this is, these seats of honor. So, in first century Jewish synagogues, there were, um, there were only seats along the outer walls. Um, so you'd have the guy in front speaking and all of these uh, seats along the walls, and everybody else had to sit in the middle. So these pious teachers of, like, this religious law would take the seats and make everybody else sit on the ground, um, which is kind of when it starts to shift when Jesus is talking about how truly wicked they were on the inside. And it says they devoured widows' houses. Um, you know, the law explicitly commanded to take care of widows and orphans. Um, in multiple places in the Old Testament law, in multiple places in the Psalms and the prophets, even some of the stranger Old Testament laws, like what we can and can't wear and what we can and can't eat, the heart behind that message is not to prey on the weak, um, not to take advantage of those who don't have what they need to survive. And 
these guys were directly violating that. Um, some commentators would say historically these scribes were known to cheat widows out of their, you know, what was left to them by their husbands. They would convince them, you know, hey, this is going to be a lot better off if you give this to the temple. Um, and then they would cheat these widows out of all of their money. And, you know, in this time, widows couldn't support themselves. You know, it was hard for them to even find money to eat. So, you know, the scribes were in the name of the temple taking advantage of these poor people and taking everything they had, leaving them hopeless. Um, but then Christ says they will be severely punished. And if any of you were in the men's group today, we kind of talked a little bit about this. Um, you know, the book of James states that teachers um, will be held to a more strict standard. You know, it, it's given as a warning to us that not many of you should desire to preach and not many of you should desire to teach because you're going to be held to a, a higher standard. Um, because, you know, as leaders in a church, you're supposed to be holding your congregation to a standard. So, you know, this is important for, for you guys to know um, and it's important for you to know who your church leadership is as well because you need to understand the standard that which you are supposed to hold us to. You, you know, we don't tolerate false doctrine and false gospels or works-based righteousness or prosperity preaching in, in these churches because that's not what Christ commanded, and that is taking advantage of other people. Um, you know, so it's important for us to understand that, you know, together we're supposed to hold each other and push each other to strive to holiness. You know, and, and that's why this is here, and that's why Christ said, or why James said, it's important that if you desire to become a teacher, that you should second guess that because, not second guess it, but you should be cautious because you're going to be judged by a stricter standard. Um, and these scribes were, were, you know, taking advantage of the, of the weak, so they're directly, you know, violating all of these commands. Um, but then what happens is Christ points to this widow. You know, before he said these scribes were devouring widows' houses. No matter how pious or holy they looked, they were still inwardly taking advantage of these other people. Well, and then this widow walks up. And like I had mentioned before, you know, widows could, could really barely provide for themselves. If they didn't have, you know, family to support them, if they didn't have, you know, a son or any money, it was very difficult for them to make a living and you know so this is what comes up and it, it says she puts in two small coins some translations will say uh two mites um which was the smallest denomination of of money you could have back in the day it's one mite is one thirty second of a day's wage um so i kind of figured that up and if you think about you know what minimum wage is and, you know um how many hours he would work in a day. Essentially, she gave like two bucks. Now, that's not really going to, to make or break a church, honestly, right? But Christ said she's given more because she has contributed out of her poverty. Um, her gift was viewed, you know, relative to what she had. You know, it, he said that the rich are giving, you know, large amounts out of their surplus. So, you know, if I have... 50 million dollars and I give 10% of 50 million dollars like I still have a substantial amount of money but if all I have to live on is two bucks it's really hard to give that two bucks up um, 
But Christ is saying, like, she's given more than anyone. You know, and I think this is a slap in the face to these scribes. And because, you know, how holy and pious and, you know, high up they think they are, Christ is saying, like, you don't support my kingdom. The faith of this widow does. Because she's giving everything. You're giving some, but she's giving all. Um, And it really calls into questions the motives of why we give and what we give. Um, You know, we have to understand, though, that that our worldly possessions don't matter. They're fleeting. Everything we have will burn. All of your money will burn. All of your possessions will burn. It's not going to last, but what lasts is what we do in service to the kingdom. You know, it's it's sharing the gospel with someone. It's 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 loving other people, you know, in spite you know of ourselves and in spite of who they are because Christ loved us first. Um, you know, the book of James, um, chapter 5, verse 3, I think we have that up there. Um, it says, your gold and your silver have become worthless. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. The treasure you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. Now, why? Why does it say that? Because we're not given these things for our own comfort. We're not... You know, just blessed with wealth so, you know, we can drive nice cars and live in huge houses or um, basically show off our money. We're given these things to advance the kingdom of God. You know, our wealth should not make us comfortable. It should be used for, you know, for service. It should be used for spreading the gospel. Um, You know, that's a hard thing for us to do because we want to hold on to this so tightly and not let go. But it says here, the very treasure you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment because you're not using it for what it's intended for. And I think this goes a lot farther than just money. I think this, this has to do with time. It has to do with your reputation. It has to do with any resource that you have. It's not just, you know, how much money I have in my pocket and I can just give whoever like 500 bucks or whatever. It's, it's, what am I doing with my time? Am I taking care of just myself and selfish, or selfishly, you know, serving my, myself? Or am I using my time and my resources and my effort, my strength to further the kingdom of God, to share the gospel? Um, you know, things like, time, money, education, you know, our own desires, um, our reputation. It, we should be willing to give it all up and honestly become undignified for the gospel. You know, we hear stories of, of these, these missionaries who they give up everything they have to live in some poor village because they understand that that's not going to matter. What's going to matter is what we do in service to Christ. So I, I guess at this moment, and this really hit me hard this week. Um, you know, if you have more than like a 10-minute conversation with me, you're going to understand. Like, I love books. Like, I collect books because I don't know, I just like them. Um, I think they make me look smart, really. I don't read them all. So, you know. Um, but anyway, I, I was sitting here studying for the sermon and looking around. And, you know, this is what I, I've used my resources for. And, and that really hit hard. Like, what are, what are my motivations for doing this? 
You know, just stop and think about what we do, you know, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, um, you know, what our desires are. Just really reflect, you know, is this for the kingdom or is this for me? Do I do these things in hopes of sharing the gospel with somebody? Um, or do I do it because it's just what I like to do and it makes me happy regardless of whether or not it has any effect on the lives of others? You know? You know, for some of us here at Rev, you know, we get accused for being overly theological sometimes, which, I mean, sometimes accusations have merit, so whatever. Um, are we theological for the sake of feeling smart or destroying arguments? and yet extremely unloving towards others? You know, I, looking at, you know, systematic theology textbooks and apologetics textbooks and, you know, all of these things that a lot of us love to read and de- honestly devour, like, why? Why are we doing that? Are we doing it because, you know, this is in hopes of explaining this to someone one day to, you know, help them understand, you know, that, you know, theism is reasonable? Or, you know, teaching people sound doctrine? Or do we just want to look really, really smart and win arguments on Facebook? Does that matter? Absolutely not. But then there's a flip side to that. Are we loving without emphasizing the gospel? Are we pleasing people? Are we cutting corners and saying, you know, doctrine doesn't matter as long as I just love someone? Um... Love, you know, without guidance in this manner, you know, honestly, it, it just seems like we're doing it for ourselves. Um, you know, we want people to like us. You know, we're afraid to tell people hard truths. But if we truly have love for the church and have love for each other, we're going to hold each other to the standards that the Bible has given us. Are the sacrifices we make for the kingdom, for the glory of Christ, or to appear pious? You know, um, flashback to the the missionaries I mentioned earlier who would would give rid of everything they owned to go live in, you know, some poor village somewhere. Um, You know, in, in big things like that, and then even in small things, like stopping to give a homeless dude 10 bucks to, like, you know, buy him a meal or something like that. Are we doing that honestly in hopes of, of sharing the gospel with that person or showing the love of Christ? Or are we doing it because it makes us look good? These are the questions we have to be asking ourselves in everything we do. Any service activity, like David mentioned earlier, we do, we do stuff down in, here in the East End, normally um, over at the Blue Store on Saturday mornings. We'll set up um, like a table and serve pancakes. But are we doing things like that Truly, for Christ? Or are we doing it because it's like kind of cool to go to a church that does this stuff and it just kind of makes us look really good and we can just kind of check that off our list and say, yeah, I've done my deed for the week. You know, um, the modern day poet Shylin, I guess, if any of you don't know him, check him out. It's fantastic. He says, if you come to Christ for money, then he is not your God, money is. Um, but I think that goes a lot more. There's more truth in that than just money. If you come to Christ for reputation, then he is not your God, your reputation is. 
if you come to Christ to appear pious, he's not your God. Your own piety is. If you come to Christ for you know, a job or a relationship or status, then be sure that that is your God and it is not Christ. So honestly, we all need to inwardly check our hearts and ask ourselves these hard questions. And I, I mean, I don't mean to seem harsh, um, but it's the reality of the situation. Romans 11.36 through 12.2 says, For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a holy sacrifice, a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. I mean, Paul is saying that all things come from Christ and are to be used for his glory. Our reputations, our money, our lives should be used for the glory of Christ and not our own gratification. You know, all these things entrusted to us should be used for his glory. And we should be willing to sacrifice our own desires, our own needs, and even our lives. It says to lay down your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. That is everything, ladies and gentlemen. That is not just an hour on Sunday evenings and 10% of your paycheck. This is the very breath we breathe should be lived for Christ. You know, I think, I think so, so many of us, you know, myself included, we're, we're content with just, just giving what's left over or, or giving, you know, just enough to make ourselves feel okay. But is that true? truly honoring the spirit of this message? This widow gave everything she had. She had complete trust and reliance on God. You know, like I mentioned before, if I get $10 million and give a million dollars to Rev, I still have $9 million. But if I have $2 and I give the entire $2, or, you know, say I am, you know, I have very little time, but I give all the extra time I have for the kingdom or even my reputation, my own desires, if I lay all of that down for the glory of Christ, then it's done with a, with a right heart. We shouldn't be selfish about the things that Christ has entrusted us with. We shouldn't be selfish about our resources. We should honestly desire for them to be used for the furtherance of his kingdom and for the gospel. These scribes, they honestly sacrifice nothing, if you think about it. Um, did he sacrifice anything by like putting on this long robe or sitting in like this best seat or like taking advantage of these widows? No. But he was considered very pious and he was considered to be very well respected in his community. There's his reward. It cost him nothing. It was easy. That piety was easy. But the love and the faith that the widow have cost her everything. It was complete devotion to God. It was complete devotion. And that's the example that we should have as Christians, that we should take the example of the faith that this widow had and say, I trust Christ with everything and know he will provide for me. And at that point, all we can do is trust God. You know, this is a constant battle within us, though. This, it doesn't come naturally as Christians. Um, and, and we can only do this you know, through, through the power of the Holy Spirit that, that God has given us.
That's the only way we can die to ourselves and die to our selfish desires. You know, and we need to pray for heart change continuously. And we're going to fail. We're always going to fail. But it's as we fail, as we fall down, Christ picks us back up and says, keep going. And, you know, we're going to fall down again. And Christ picks us back up and says, keep going. I'm keeping you here. I'm sustaining you. Now, at this point in the sermon is when, if I were one of you, I would be getting kind of nervous because I would be thinking, he's telling me I have to, like, earn my salvation, which is what Dave tells me I shouldn't do. Like, do we stone this guy out back? Like, what do we, how's this go down? Um, But that's not what I'm saying. We don't sacrifice to earn a right standing with God. As I mentioned before, like, we're going to fail, and there's grace for that. We do it out of appreciation, though. Um, so say I'm hanging out with Dave and Dave is like, you know, talking to me, walking backwards out into the road and I see a truck coming and I run up and drop kick him out of the way. Cause I can do that. <laughs> um, and I get hit by this, uh, car or truck or whatever I said. I don't remember. That was two seconds ago. Um, and I take the hit and somehow miraculously I survive. And, here I am, like, in a complete body cast, laying in SOMC. Um, and Dave's like, can I get you anything, man? Yeah. <laughs> a Taco Bell quesalupa sounds pretty awesome. And he's like, sure thing, I got it. He's not doing that to earn, to, you know, take me out of this body cast. Or he's not doing it to... Um, to fix me in any way or to, to earn being pushed out of the way of the car. He's doing it because I saved his life and he appreciates that. Because he should have been there. And here I am. So whatever I desire from David, he's going to do because he loves me now. He appreciates me, right? There we go. Um, so looking at what this means for our Christian life, um, in Galatians 2, 20 through 21, it says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there is no need for Christ to die. You know, and there's a lot of truth there, but, you know, to hit the highlights, it says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. You know, Christ died in my place to take the wrath for my own sin that was due me onto himself that I don't have to face it. You know, we appreciate the fact that we were once dead in sin and enemies of God. And God decided to love rather than damn all of those who would put their faith and trust in his son who would die to themselves and live in honor and appreciation of Christ. You know, Christ took the full punishment of our sin that separated us from God. And he did this so that he would save everyone who would put their faith in him. That's why we do these things. That's why we give our time, our money, our resources. And that's why we're willing to sacrifice everything 
Because when we truly understand what we had to do us before Christ died on the cross, we understand that everything else is meaningless. My money is meaningless. If, it, if it's going to burn one day, it's meaningless. The only thing that matters is the gospel and the fact that Christ saved me and is going to save others, and now I need to tell them that. No matter what it cost us. This is the gospel. This is what we talk about all the time, that we were dead in sin, and then God did not want to damn us to an eternal hell, so he picked us up and put Christ in our place, And let Christ take the wrath of our sin and suffer hell on that cross for us. How can we not act in appreciation out of that? Believe this. Appreciate it. Live for it. Understand it. And let all you do in this life be used for the glory of God and to point others towards this. And it's going to cost you something. I guarantee you that. Whether it's $50,000 or an awkward conversation with your parents, this is going to cost you something. You know, if it's, you know, if you have to you sell everything you have and move to some third world country and live for the rest of your life, that's what it costs you. But if it costs someone else saying like, hey man, I can't go see this movie with you because it's not pleasing to Christ. It's not helping me to live a holy life. Then that's what that costs you. Some of, it's, some of us is going to cost criticism, and others will actually cost us our lives. You know, there are Christians in the Middle East now being you know, burned and crucified in the streets for their faith in Christ. It will cost us something. But know this. In the end, you're going to look back and you're going to see what you sacrificed. And in comparison to what we are given through Christ, we're going to know that what we had given in this life was meaningless. You know, it was an easy trade. It's like, hey man, uh, you got any pocket lint? Because I'm trying to get rid of this Lamborghini. You want to trade? Like honestly, like, it was a really, really dumb, like, Baptist metaphor. There's always one somewhere. But understand that in comparison to what we receive, what we give up is almost negligible. I mentioned before, our money is meaningless, and it will burn, and our honor is going to go away, and our prestige will disappear, and one day we're going to get old and gray and wrinkly and die. Whatever we do in this life, that's what lasts. What we do for Christ, that's what lasts. And let this example of the widow stand out to us. You know, as an example of knowing that these worldly things are fleeting and that they're ultimately going to perish and that the only true hope is found in the eternal love and grace of Christ. As I mentioned before, um, if there's anyone here who is yet to put that faith in Christ. I'm telling you, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. You know, it says that in Romans, you know, some of you, like no one's just going to die for anybody, but somebody might die for like an all right person. 
but why you were still like under the wrath of God and spitting in his face saying, I want to be my own God. God sent Christ to die in your place to pay the wrath for that sin so that you would not have to face hell when you die. And put your faith in that. Trust that. Trust in Christ alone for your salvation. It's not works. Our works don't save us. Our works are out of appreciation for that. You know, I, I really hope that, you know, this hits home with somebody tonight. Um, if anybody has any questions, come talk to me after the service. Come talk to Dave, Steve, Kelly, Allie, AJ, anybody you see. Um, I would love to talk to you guys. Um, but let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for this congregation. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for what you have done for us through Christ. And God, I ask that you change our hearts. Um, Help us to use everything we have for your kingdom. Give us the desire to serve you. I thank you, Christ, in all of these things. Amen.